Hey gearheads, it's Greg Stanley and welcome to Auto Sausage where we grind together automotive awesomeness. Today we welcome a special guest, John Crayman, who's one of the TV commentators from Meekum Auctions. So be sure to stay tuned for his interview coming up here shortly. You can hear his full interview, including his career journey, on my other podcast, Learn From Others, which can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever you find awesome podcasts. Our next auto sausage guessing game is actually open now. So this one is for Meekum's Portland, Oregon auction, and the guessing window will close on 619 at 1159 p.m. The auction dates are 620 and 621 and to learn more about the auction and to see all the lots involved, be sure to go to Meekum.com. So what will you win this round? You'll win great car care prizes, including Buckhead Mechanics gloves, a uranium LED flashlight that's super bright, and a stainless steel tumbler that is kind of a camouflage kind of design on it. And all of these total almost $80 worth of goods. So be sure to sign up and play. To play the guessing game, go to autosausage.com where you'll just have to guess the price on five cool classic cars or just five cool cars coming up for auction. I'm going to review the five cars for this particular one right now, but ironically, four of them are actually SUVs or trucks because trucks are taking off like crazy right now. So I, I thought it would be fun to do one of all trucks, but I found I needed to throw in one kind of high dollar car there at the end which is kind of fun. Meekum did not post any estimates. So as always, I will use the Haggerty Price Guide grade quality number one and number three to kind of give you an idea of what they'll sell for. And I'll provide you my own estimate range based on my expertise and experience. So the first one we're going to look at is a 1967 Toyota FJ40 Land Cruiser. If you read the fine print, this is actually one that was imported from Japan because the US ones were not actually made in 1968. So this is actually really cool. I would say the condition on this car is a 2+. plus. It's not mint, but it's really, really nice. From the pictures, it has great colors. It's kind of cool green. Looks ready to go. The key mechanics have been refreshed, and it's ready to hit the road. These are actually declining slightly, so they've been on a tear for a long time. Super expensive. They flattened out, and they're going slightly down right now. So if you look at the price for one in number one condition, it's about $81,000. And number three... It's about $29,000 with a slightly down three-year sales trend. Now, my estimate range, I'm going to say this is going to fall between $38,000 and $52,000. I think that's a little bit more realistic. I think it'll be a little bit on the high side of that, actually. Really cool truck. Only 300 miles since restoration. It was upgraded with a four-speed transmission. So some cool stuff going on with that one. That's on Friday. Also on Friday is a 2004 Dodge Ram SRT 10 pickup. Now, if you're not familiar with this particular pickup truck, it's a really cool truck. It's got the Viper V10 engine. There's not a lot of information on these. Haggerty does have a valuation on these trucks. And in number one condition, it's worth $45,500. And in number three, it's $25,000. I think this is going to be on the high end of the estimate range. I think it actually might even go higher. Reason being is this truck only has 6,900 miles. It's got a six-speed manual transmission. It's the V10. It's a pretty silver color. And the three-year sales trend, it's been up strong most recently, the last 12 months. So I'm going to say this is going to sell between $42,000 and $50,000. I think it actually might kind of make a record for this one. So we'll see. The third one we'll do is a 1980 International Scout Lot F-159. So it's on Friday. It's got a lot of aftermarket items on it, a lot of mods on it. I think that will hurt the sale somewhat. Haggerty says the number one shape is $44,000. Number three is $21,000. I'm going to say this is going to sell between $20,000 and $26,000. The mods are going to hurt this one. It's kind of a weird color. 
it is a diesel, which is pretty cool. And diesels are pretty hot right now. So the three-year sales trend on this one is up really hard. So these things have really increased in value recently. That's because the Broncos are so expensive now. People are looking for other cool SUVs from that same type of period. The International Scout fits that bill. Now, the fourth one we're going to look at of the five was a 1973 Ford Bronco lot F200. But that's no longer on their website. So I'm thinking what might have happened is this one fell out of the auction for one reason or another. We'll review it now anyways, just in case it pops back in there. This particular SUV, Haggerty condition number one, is $88,000. Can you believe that? Price for number three is $36,000. The three-year trend is up really strong, but it has leveled off recently. So I think they've kind of capped out. I'm going to say this is going to sell a little lower because I would say closer to the number three condition. I'd say condition two and a half. I think this will sell between 35.5 and 48.5. My final estimate will be posted the day before the auction starts. So hopefully that one will make it back into the auction and we won't have to go with four <laughs> this week. We'll have to go with five. So the last one, the fifth one is actually a car. It's a 1969 Ford Mustang Boss 429, one of my favorites, lot S120. These things are awesome. They're incredible. They have this huge 429 engine, special made. Had to shoehorn it in there by Carcraft. They had to redo the shock tires. Just a great, great car. The Haggerty valuation in number one condition is $391,000. The Haggerty price for number three condition is $200,000. So the three-year sales trend on these is trending slightly down. It's got a great color combination. It's red. It's got some good documentation. I think it will sell somewhere in between the two of those spots. I think it's a, probably at number two, maybe a, getting closer to a number one condition. But I think as... Most muscle cars are slightly down right now. I think it will sell between 250 and 320. I don't think it will go for the full 391. So we'll see how that one does as well. Good luck playing the auto sausage guessing game. And now I'd like to introduce Meekum's very own John Craman. John, how are you doing today? I am doing great. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us, John. You can hear John's career journey from what he wanted to be when he was a little kid to what he's doing today on our other podcast called Learn From Others. So be sure to check it out. So, John, I appreciate your time today. And this is all about cars. So let's dig in deep here. What moment did you realize you loved cars? There has never been a moment in my life where I haven't been immersed with cars. Uh, it looks like it started around two years old and it still continues to churn all these years later. I love cars. <laughs> now, do you have any particular brand of car or era of cars that you really love? Yeah, there's really sort of a two-part answer to that. My interest level really begins in the mid-1950s and goes right up until the present day. Uh, that's primarily because those are the cars that I remember growing up, I think. Not to say that cars earlier than that don't, uh, that I don't have an interest in because I do. And uh, for some reason, uh, the, the, the Pontiacs are gone now since 2010. From a very early age were the cars that captured my imagination, uh, the full-size cars in the late 50s, early 60s, and then, of course, the GTO in 1964. Regarded, most people say it's the first, mu first muscle car. I like to, I like to have fun uh, discussing that with people that have other opinions. There's no right or wrong answer. <laughs> but it, it, that definitely caught my imagination, and, and I own a 64 GTO, and, and it's going to be part of my permanent collection. So Now, speaking of which, what are some of the other cool cars you have in your collection? Well, as a youngster wild about cars, there were four cars that I, that I realized that I wanted to have. Even this is probably five, six years old. GTO, yeah, I got that box checked. Corvette, yeah, I've got two of those. Mustang, yep, got one of those. 
and a Cadillac. A Cadillac hmm. to me was the sort of like the pinnacle of of uh, prestige and styling and image. And uh, I didn't get my first Cadillac, and this was all these were bought new, by the way. Didn't get that one until uh, oh 2015, three years ago. But uh, finally checked off the Cadillac box, so now. Uh, now my garage is full of all my all my dream cars, and just lavish a bunch of care to all of them, and <laughs> and uh, they're not going anywhere soon. None of them are. Now you're one of the rare folks that turned your passion to cars into a career. So if you would tell us, what do you do for Mecham Auctions? Yeah, I started with Mecham back in 2006. Now keep in mind, Mecham Auctions has been in business since 1988, but Dana Mecham, the founder and president, he's a visionary. He decided back in the mid 2000s he wanted to take this company and push it to a much higher level than what it was and I was very lucky the timing was right for me a mutual friend put us together and uh, it was a match made in heaven uh, I started as the director of consignments helping Mecham auctions wrangle all the consignments necessary to hold our auctions which during calendar year 2019 we're looking to consign about 20 thousand vehicles it's a huge effort now as we've grown over the years we'll do about 400 million in sales of collector cars this year as well we are the world's largest by far i was like i said i was brought in during sort of the next wave the second wave of uh, push and uh, we went on television in 2008 i was chosen to be the commentator analyst and boy we've just got a hit show on tv and it's really helped us over the past 12 years to not only position ourselves mecham auction as a great auction company to to do business with, but also for those of us on the show, the announcers and myself, to promote and share our love and our knowledge and our enthusiasm for collector cars, particularly as we're talking about, you know, generationally, hoping that future generations will continue to embrace the level of interest and and uh, satisfaction that we get, you and I get out of these cars. Obviously, you know a lot about cars. You probably know more than most folks, but you can't know everything. So what is your research like prior to a big auction weekend? That's a really good question because when it comes to what I would say traditional Mecham inventory, um, which would be those mid-50s to early 70s cars that are so popular in the collector car world, and of course, you can put trucks and motorcycles in there too, pretty well versed there. But yeah, we get curveballs every once in a while. Our Monterey, California auctions, a bit of a boutique auction for Mecham, where we get heavily involved in a lot of European classics. Uh, vintage Porsches, vintage Ferraris, other exotics, and also some contemporary supercars. And that's where I kind of have to bone up a little bit and learn about uh, some of the nuances of uh, some of the foreign brands that are simply not here in the U.S. or on the Mecham auction block in the same type of quantity. And I'm not shy about uh, picking up a reference book or going online and and filling in some few blanks so that I can make sure that when we hit the airwaves with our show that we can provide good, accurate, relevant information on every vehicle that crosses that block. Yeah, you really seem to pull out some very unique and rare cars. I know I was at the Mecham Indy a couple of weeks ago, and there was a lot of stuff that I was like, wow, okay, that's a Mopar, but it's not one I've ever seen before. You had the ra rapid <laughs> right. transit cars, and you had two cars that I actually found two years ago while I was on my travels throughout the U.S. in either a restoration shop or a barn, the 63 Cheetah. Uh, I actually heard about that through a friend in the uh, Paul Newman Porsche. 
found that near my dad's house in Holly Springs, Georgia, in a barn, which was kind of cool. So those are typical, not typical fairs. So it's great to know that you're able to brush up on those oddballs every once in a while to make sure you present it the right way to your audience. Those are a couple of wonderful examples of exactly that. You know, so much of what we do at Mecham Auctions and on the television program are fairly traditional collector cars. Uh, you know, the Chevrolets and the Mopars and the Ford Motor Product Company, some of the popular imports like VWs, we see that stuff in very great quantity and have been doing that for a long time. But, uh, yeah, to kind of reach out to some of the more rare vehicles and and uh, the more exotic and more expensive vehicles, a little bit of a challenge on some of that stuff because you don't want to you don't want to say stuff that's not accurate. You don't want to mm-hmm. just make stuff up because you're going to, you're going to be exposed. It's not what you want to do. But at the same time, if you don't have information to share with the listeners, the viewers, you've got a problem there too. So a little bit of pressure there, but uh, like I say, we're in year 12. It's unbelievable. 2008 is when we, when we first started television. Uh, each year we get more hours on the network. We're running about uh, 200 hours or so of live new uh, new content each year, but we're on the air about a thousand hours a year because they re-air our auctions so frequently. Yeah, you guys are filling up my DVR. Thanks. No, just kidding. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> so, what's the what's the coolest car you've recently reviewed on the auction block? Does one pop out? Well, I got to tell you, this is for the Mopar guys. We go back to our indie auction. I'm curious if you remember this. We had a great collection of some of the world's best, most rare, valuable, great original condition. Uh, Mopar products on the planet, performance-oriented cars from the late 60s, early 70s. One of the cars there didn't get a lot of initial attention. is a 1969 Plymouth Barracuda Formula S, neat car, a little coupe, 340-275 horse, uh, column-shifted uh, automatic transmission. But what made it unique was the flowered final top called the mod top i took a bunch of pictures of that <laughs> yeah matching matching seat inserts a couple hundred of them i think were built uh not usually particularly valuable a car represents the flower power era of the late 1950s a very short-lived design theme uh, but about as quickly as it came out uh, it was already out of fashion and the pre-auction estimate of this car was 50 to 70,000 i thought right. that was a little on the high side probably thought i'd bring 30 40,000 and it hammered the hammer price after one of the most epic bidding battles in Mecham history it hammered for a shocking almost unbelievable 400 thousand dollars and if you look at the Mecham website and find it it's easy to find you'll see a four hundred and forty thousand dollar sale price well that includes the ten percent buy fee four hundred and forty thousand dollars for 1969 Plymouth Formula S with a 340 with the mod top two Mopar enthusiasts high-end enthusiasts that came to this auction to buy that car and they were not going to let the other guy home go home uh, with it without a heck of a battle yeah that must have been like fireworks going off there on the auction floor that's amazing it was it was it was magic it was fun and the buyer could not be more delighted that he's got the car so it's a win-win for everyone except for the guy maybe they didn't get it (laughs) that's right (laughs) wow well what are some of the recent market trends you're seeing today boy you you know, we talk about what, what the future might bring and, and, and where we're at now. And you have to say, very much like the sales of new vehicles, trucks and four-wheel drives and SUVs, vintage mm-hmm. ones, just continue to just reset the bar auction after auction. First-generation Broncos, the 66 through 77 Broncos, are on fire. Blazers are on fire. And then you combine with that the fact that uh, the aftermarkets come on board with 
lots of aftermarket plug-and-play goodies, engine, transmission, suspension, brakes, appearance items. They've come through with that to be able to modernize these vintage vehicles, and the buyers, the automotive enthusiasts, is going crazy over that stuff. And it, that bodes well because what it tells me is, and this is a slightly younger demographic, by the way, that are buying these as opposed to want to buy vehicles that have original powertrains, it's helping to put a lot of interest and energy in this market to a younger audience, and that's we're all for it. Yes, I've been looking at these auction trends recently on SUVs, and that's why for this next auto auction that I'm doing, this game I'm doing, this guessing game, four of the five are actually SUVs because I think it's fun to dig into it. <laughs> I think the uh, yeah. Toyota FJs have kind of capped out, but you've got the international that are on a hot street going north, and the SUVs, the uh, Ford Broncos are still up there. So, yeah, it's really interesting to see the market trends change. So speaking of the market trends, is there one that's gotten away with a car that you wish you still had that just got away from you? Oh, you have to ask that so I can so I can <laughs> relive that, huh? Back in 1978, I was a youngster. I'd been married for three years. I bought a one-year-old 1977 Pontiac Trans Am. But not only any Pontiac Trans Am. I'm not even sure I knew that the movie Smoking the Bandit was even out yet. But it was a a black special edition referred to today as the bandit edition, the black with the gold trim, the optional T 6.6 engine, four speed T tops car had 12,000 miles on it. I had it a year. I sold it a year after I had bought it and took a thousand dollar loss on it after keeping it a year. And of course we know now that that's one of the hot it cars from the 1970s. And I regret selling that car to this day. I've kept my 64 GTO I bought back in July of 76. I still own that today, but I sure wish that black abandoned edition Trans Am was sitting next to it in the garage. That's an iconic car, not just a fantastic car. That's an iconic car. Well, I'll let you go. I could talk to you all day, but I'm going to ask you two more <laughs> questions. Do you have a barn find story? You know, the barn find phenomenon is 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 fascinating to me because here are cars that are coming out of long-term storage with an inch or two of dust and grime and, uh, you know, rodent dander. And some of these cars were pretty nice when they were put away, and some of these cars had a lot of deterioration when they were put away, but they almost never fail to bring crazy dollar amounts, despite the fact that these cars, to bring them up to some level of mechanical and cosmetic appearance, they're going to need a lot of work. We go back three, four years to a Meekum auction where we had a barn fine 69 Dodge Charger Daytona, very rare car in its own right. It was a uh, base engine, the 375 horse 440 automatic, so not not the optional Hemi. Uh, but the car was in, I would say the car was in poor overall condition. And uh, it got brought out of a barn. It was roped off. It said, do not touch, do not wash, keep all the dust and all the grime on the car intact. And it sold for $75,000, about double what I guessed it was going to bring. So uh, I don't know if the owner decided to restore the car or if he's decided to keep it as an as-found barn find. But not a big part of the collector car world, but definitely an interesting niche. Uh, Not my cup of tea, but I understand that there are those people that uh, have an appeal to those those cars and it's great yeah i've got a it's not a special barn find really per se but i've got the 1993 indy pace car camaro there's a lot of those out there they're only worth 16 18 grand you know and they low miles but this particular one has a nice layer of dust and it has it's never dealer prepped 
It only has nine miles on it. <laughs> well, that's a true barn so, find. Okay, now we're talking a great car. Go ahead. Now I want to just I want to take it as is. It's out in Altoona, Pennsylvania. I want to take it as is with the dust. Just roll it up on your auction block and see what happens. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time today. Where are you off to next? Next up is going to be our Portland, uh, Oregon auction. One of our smaller auctions. But uh, that's going to be uh, June 21st and 22nd. It's a Friday, Saturday, two-day auction. Plenty of great coverage on NBCSN, so be sure to check that out. And uh, we have learned that the folks out there in Portland, Oregon, they do love their collector cars out there. And they like to have cars that they drive, so there's a lot of entry and mid-level collectible cars are going to be crossing that auction block. So if you can't make it out to Portland, tune in, NBCSN. Awesome. Well, again, to hear John's full career journey from when he was a little kid to today, be sure to check out his interview on LFO, Learn From Others, which will be out on Monday. And John, thanks again for your time today. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for the interest.